Chapter Five of Gold in the Sky by Alan E. Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Black Raider. For a stunned moment, they were helpless as they struggled to pick themselves up. The stable airlock deck was suddenly no longer stable. It was lurching back and forth like a rowboat on a heavy sea, and they grabbed the shock bars along the bulkheads to steady themselves. "'What happened?' Greg yelped. "'I saw a ship.' As if in answer, there was another crash below decks, and the lurching became worse. "'They're firing on us. That's what happened,' Johnny Coombs growled. "'Well, they're shaking us loose at the seams,' Greg said. "'We've got to get this crate out of here.' He reached for his helmet, began unsnapping his pressure suit. "'Leave it on,' Johnny snapped. "'But we can't move fast enough in these things.' Leave it on all the same. If they split the hull open, you'll be dead in ten seconds without a suit. Somewhere below they heard the steady clang-clang-clang of the emergency station's bell. Already one of the compartments somewhere had been breached, and was pouring its air out into the vacuum of space. But what can we do? Greg said. They could tear us apart. First we see what they've already done, Johnny said, spinning the wheel on the inner lock. If they plan to tear us apart, we're done for. But they may want to try to board us. We'll wait and see. An orbit ship under fire was completely vulnerable. One well-placed shell could rip it open like a balloon. Tom and Greg followed Johnny to where the control cabin was located. In control, they found alarm lights flashing in three places on the instrument panel. Another muffled crash roared through the ship and a new row of lights sprang on along the panel. "'How are the engines?' Greg said, staring at the flickering lights. "'Can't tell. Looks like they're firing at the main jets. But they've ripped open three storage holds, too. They're trying to disable us.' "'What about the scavenger?' Johnny checked a gauge. "'The airlock compartment is all right, so the scout ships haven't been touched. They couldn't fire on them without splitting the whole ship down the middle.' Johnny leaned forward, flipped on the view screen, and an image came into focus. It was a Class I Ranger. There was no doubt of its origin. Like the one they had seen berthing at the Sun City racks, this ship had a glossy black hull, with the golden triangle and J insignia standing out in sharp relief in the dim sunlight. "'It's our friends, all right,' Johnny said. "'But what are they trying to do?' Tom said." Even as they watched, a pair of scooters broke from the side of the ranger and slid down toward the sun side of the asteroid. "'I don't know,' Johnny said. "'I think they intended to stay hidden until Tom lost control of his bumper and got far enough around there to spot them.' He frowned as the first scooter touched down on the asteroid surface. "'Can't we fire on them?' Greg said angrily. "'Not the way this tub is lurching around.' They've got our main gyros, and the auxiliaries aren't powerful enough to steady us. Another blast or two could send us spinning like a top, and we have nothing to stabilize us. There was another flash from the ranger's hull. The ship jerked under their feet. Well, we're a sitting duck here, Greg said. Maybe those engines will still work. He slid into the control seat, flipped the drive switches to fire the side jets in opposite pairs. They fired, steadying the lurching ship somewhat. But there was no response from the main engines. 
No good. We couldn't begin to run from them. We're stuck here. They could outrun us anyway, Tom said, watching the view screen. And they're moving in closer now. They're going to board us, Tom said. Johnny nodded, his eyes suddenly bright. I think you're right, and if they do, we may have a chance. But we've got to split up. Greg, you take the control cabin here. Try to keep them out if you can. Tom, cover the main corridor to the storage holds. I'll take the engine room section. That will sew up the entrances to control here and give us a chance to stop them. They may have a dozen men, Tom said. They could just shoot us down. I don't think so, Johnny said. They want us, not the ship, or they wouldn't bother to board us. We may not be able to hold them off, but we can try. What about making a run for it in the scavenger? Greg said. Johnny chuckled grimly. It'd be a mighty short run. That ranger's got homing shells that could blow the scavenger to splinters if we tried it. Our best bet is to put up such a brawl that they think twice about taking us. They parted in the corridor outside control, Johnny heading down for the engine room corridors, while Tom ran up toward the main outer shell corridor, a Markheim stunner in his hand. The entire outer shell of the ship was storage space, each compartment separately sealed and connected with the two main corridors that circled the ship. On each side, these corridors came together to join the short entry corridors from the scout ship airlocks. Tom knew that the only way the ship could be boarded was through those locks. A man stationed at the place where the main corridors joined could block any entry from the locks, as long as he could hold his position. Tom reached the junction of the corridors and crouched close to the wall. By peering around the corner, he had a good view of the airlock corridor. Tom gripped the Markheim tightly, and he dialed it down to a narrow beam. Nobody had ever been killed by a stunner, but a direct hit with a narrow beam could paralyze a man for three days. There was movement at the far end of the airlock corridor. A helmeted head peered around the turn in the corridor. Then two men in pressure suits moved into view, walking cautiously, weapons in hand. Tom shrank back against the wall, certain they had not seen him. He waited until they were almost to the junction with the main corridor. Then he took aim and pressed the trigger on his Markheim. There was an ugly ripping sound as the gun jerked in his hand. The two men dropped as though they had been poleaxed. A shout, a scrape of metal against metal, and a shot ripped back at him from the end of the corridor. Tom jerked back fast, but not quite fast enough. He felt a sledgehammer blow on his shoulder felt his arm jerk in a cramping spasm while the corridor echoed the low rumble of subsonics. He flexed his arm to work out the spasm. They were using a wide beam, hardly strong enough to stun a man. His heart pounded. They were being careful, very careful. Two more men rounded the bend in the corridor. Tom fired, but they hit the deck fast, and the beam missed. The first one jerked to his feet, charged up the corridor toward him, dodging and sliding. Tom followed him in his sights, fired three times as the Markheim heated up in his hand. The beam hit the man's leg, dumping him to the deck, and bounced off to catch the second one. But now there was another sound, 
coming from the corridor behind him. Voices, shouts, clanging of boots. He pressed against the wall, listening. The sounds were from below. They must have gotten past Johnny, probably the men on the scooters. Tom looked around helplessly. If they came up behind him, he was trapped in a crossfire. But if he left his position, more men could come in through the airlock. Even now, two more came around the bend, starting up the corridor for him. Quite suddenly, the lights went out. The men stopped. Sound stopped. The corridor was pitch black. Tom fired wildly down the corridor, heard shouts and oaths from the men, but he could see nothing. Then, ahead, a flicker of light as a headlamp went on. The men from the airlock were close, moving in on him, and from behind him he saw a light bouncing off the corridor walls. He jerked open the hatch to a storage hold, ducked inside, and slammed the hatch behind him. He pressed against the wall, panting. He waited. Suddenly an idea flickered in Tom's mind. It was a chance, a long chance, but it was something. If they were going to be captured in spite of anything they could do, even a long chance would be worth trying. He waited in the darkness, tried to think it through. It was a wild idea, an utterly impossible idea. He had never heard of it being tried before. But any chance was better than none. He remembered what Johnny had said in the control cabin. The ranger ship would have homing shells. An attempt to make a run with a scavenger might be disastrous. He thought about it, trying to reason it out. The Jupiter equilateral men obviously wanted them alive. They did not dare to kill Roger Hunter's sons, because Roger Hunter might have told them where the Bonanza was and Jupiter Equilateral would not dare let any one of them break away. If one of them got back to Mars, the whole UN patrol would be out in the belt. The plan became clear in his mind, but he had to let Greg know. He fingered the control panel of his helmet radio. The boarding party would have a snooper, but if he was quick, they wouldn't have time to nail him. He buzzed an attention code. Greg, can you hear me? Silence. He buzzed again and waited. What was wrong? Had they already broken through to the control cabin and taken Greg? He buzzed again. Greg, sound off if you can hear me. More silence. Then a click. Tom? Here, are you all right? So far, you? They got past me, but they didn't hit me. How's Johnny? I don't know, Greg said. I think he's been hurt, Tom. You'd better get off. They'll have snoopers. All right, listen, Tom said. How does it look to you? Bad. We're outnumbered. They'll be through to here any minute. All right, I've got an idea. It's risky, but it might let us pull something out of this mess. I'll need some time, though. How much? Ten, fifteen minutes. There was an edge to Greg's voice. What are you planning? I can't tell you. They're listening in. But if it works... Look, don't do anything stupid. I can't hear you, Tom said. Try to hold them for fifteen minutes. And don't worry. Take care of yourself. Tom snapped off the speaker and moved to the hatchway. The corridor was empty and pitch black. 
he started down toward the airlock then stopped short at the sound of voices and the flicker of headlamps up ahead he crouched back but the lights were not moving guards at the lock making certain that nobody tried to board their own ship tom grinned to himself they weren't missing any bets he thought except one there was one bet they wouldn't even think of he backtracked to the storage hold crossed through it and out into the far corridor he followed the gentle curve of the deck a quarter of the way around the ship twice along the way he stumbled in the darkness but saw no sign of the raiders at last he reached the far side and the corridor leading to number two airlock again he could see the lamps of the guards around the bend they were stationed directly inside their own lock inching forward he peered into the blackness each step made a muffled clang on the deck plates he edged his boots along as quietly as possible reaching along the wall with his hand until he felt the lip of the hatchway the lights and voices seemed nearer now in the dim reflected light he saw the sign on the door of the hatchway number two airlock be sure pressure gauge is at zero before opening hatch he checked the gauge silently spun the wheel there was a ping as the seals broke he pulled the hatch open just enough to squeeze into the lock and closed it behind him then he switched on the pumps waiting impatiently until the red all-clear signal flashed on then he opened the outside lock just beyond he could see the sleek silvery lines of the scavenger it was their only chance he took a deep breath and jumped across the gap to the open lock of the scavenger End of chapter 5